Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Really excited to be with my co-host, Andy Dolich, today. And we've got Brian Killingsworth, CMO of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, on with us. And Andy, I I know you like titles, acronyms, and logos. So we're going to start with this and that. I think Brian is our first CMO on the podcast. We've had CRO, CEO, COO, FEO, I think is a term you you named or, or coined, I would, I would imagine, but um, really excited to have Brian on to, to talk a little bit about marketing and his, his career path in the industry. Uh, so without further ado, welcome to the podcast and I'll kick it to Andy. Uh, thinking again, welcome Brian, and just thinking about having been in the business for a while when there was just sort of boring like vice president, director, manager, and before I got out, right, I had one of those C titles with uh, the 49ers, the CLO. Now there's probably a 10-page book that defines the different Cs. And there's probably an A to Z after a C in, in pro sports teams. What I, where I'd like to start, Brian, is if you were to impanel a group of sports futurists six or seven years ago and say, okay, name me the sport that will go to Las Vegas and absolutely own the market. I'm just thinking a lot of people might not have said an NHL hockey team. Can you take us through the incredible story of how uh, the, the Knights came to being and just did, you know, has have just absolutely nailed it on almost every level. Well, appreciate that. Obviously, it was a uh, it was a market Las Vegas that the major sports leagues frowned upon. Frankly, it wasn't even a leverage market. It was a market that every commissioner stayed away from. And whether it was the betting stigma or just the Sin City aspect of it, um, there was just never any momentum there. And so I think. You know, seven years ago, I don't think people would have even predicted any team to be successful, much less a hockey team. But uh, you got to give almost all the credit, if not all of it, to Bill Foley, our owner. He had the foresight to believe in the market and to believe and convince Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, that he had to be the first league in Las Vegas. He saw a market that was relatively untapped in terms of professional sports fandom. And uh, he thought hockey was the perfect product to bring. And uh, he has incredible foresight in all of his businesses. Uh, Insanely smart person who knows how to look at distressed opportunities and look at areas where he should be first. And this was one of those. And uh, so it starts with Bill. He worked really hard to get a deposit campaign built. Um, and in short order, got about 16,000 people to put down deposits um, right away and uh, quickly converted those to about 14,500 full season tickets. And, uh, you know, he deserves all the credit because he was selling a team that nobody knew uh, in an arena that people had didn't know about and a sport that was relatively unknown to the market. And so... Um, but because of the success of the season ticket deposit campaign, um, he soon learned right away that it was a, a really good decision because the fan base was rabid for a professional sports team to call their own 
Las Vegas is such an interesting community because it's almost two communities in one. You have 2.2 million people that live in Las Vegas. So it's the 39th largest media market. But in addition to that, you've got 43 million people that visit the tourist destination of Las Vegas every year. And so you have incredible opportunity to pull from both tourists and really cater to locals uh, because there was no other team in the market. And uh, through all his hard work and, uh, and really going around from a grassroots perspective and selling hockey to whoever would listen, he was able to generate some fan interest from the start and then uh, had the foresight to hire some really key executives, George McPhee on the hockey side, uh, who came from the Washington Capitals, and then Kerry Bubolds on the uh, on the business side came from the Cleveland Cavaliers, and entrusted uh, and, and them with building out both sides of the business. Brian, the the market suffered, you know, an unspeakable tragedy in the shootings, and and I know just from the outside, you know, what a trauma it was. But the way the team sort of represented the heart and soul of Las Vegas, you know, everybody talks about concrete and metal and glass and these new sports venues. But if you don't have a heart and soul, you really aren't capturing the market. Can you share a little bit about what that was like and how the organization, Mr. Foley, you, Carrie, and everybody else there became that much more a part of the DNA of the community. Yeah, it was, um, it's something that I, I never go through again, uh, but it's something that shows the power of sports. And so we had spent months planning our home opener and our regular season debut as a franchise on October 10th. And that unspeakable tragedy um, happened on one October. So it was a Sunday night. We had actually, uh, played our last preseason game down at T-Mobile arena that Sunday during the day. And, uh, later that night it was, uh, it was at a Jason Aldean concert right on the strip where, uh, where 58 members entity lost. And so we went into work the next day. Everybody was in shock. And, uh, and first we really just tried to assess that everybody was safe and accounted really tried to put the emphasis on our people, um, that and spent a good day doing, we soon, um, all of our plans that we had opener had to be put aside and I'm tremendously proud of the work that everybody did collectively in really realizing this platform that we had and really our responsibility to help the community heal. Um, but the first thing we did was uh, we got with the players and um, our head of community relations went down and, and tried to see, gauge the interest in the players going out in the community on Tuesday and Wednesday um, in terms of just different, just being present in the community, going to the blood banks, going down to visit Metro and the police and the first responders and, and just being there to lend support. And we were trying to break it up over two days and every one of the players raised their hands to go out both days. And this is prior to our first uh, regular season game, which was a road game on Thursday. So all the players went out and mobilized 
and uh, and we were really just trying to be present, just to just to really be there to support as much as possible. Um, you know, we set up a bunch of different ways that we pulled together the community from a Vegas strong standpoint, and really just tried to to really rally that week. But the the pinnacle for me was just the build up to the first game on October 10th, where where really it was just a complete team effort in putting the community first. And uh, we've all, you know, been in a part of different sports teams and different uh, businesses that now work for the Golden Knights. But I think that tragedy made everybody feel like they were native Las Vegans. And so we had to honor the community the right way. And so it started with a lot of little things that all added up, I think, to us trying to really help the community heal. Um, when we player introductions, instead of introducing our team, we introduced first responders. So we called on local nurses, police, fire, um, metro, and they were the ones that were announced. And our players flanked them on the ice. So it was really showing, hey, you know, we're a sports team. We're a distraction. You are the real heroes. You're the ones that should get the recognition. And so starting with those introductions to um, to a tribute that we had on the ice and, and putting all the um, the fallen um, members names on the ice during 58 seconds of silence for our fans. Um, and then the team just went and performed four goals in a matter of minutes and uh, really, really uh, played a key role community start to get back to normal and to heal represent what Vegas strong meant and so that that week as a whole is a blur to me still but it was one of the most fulfilling um, aspects of of my career and just just my time here on earth to be able to be there in that arena uh, during those 58 seconds of silence and to and to really take in um, the power of sports and to heal and so we kind of um tried to play a role into really being uh what we say is we say we protect the unprotected as vegas golden knights and so we try to continue that all throughout the year by honoring our vegas strong members of the game and um it was really really something that i'm proud of our franchise and, and proud of every single person that played a role in that as you guys are you know working through um, kind of putting the team together, right? There, there's obviously the team on the ice that was put together through the expansion draft, and and but then there's the front office team. As you've had to kind of um, build and and build upon, you know, not only the experiences in Vegas but everyone else's diverse experience. Has that almost been an advantage of being able to take a lot of different people from scratch? Uh, from a lot of different experiences, including, you know, yourself coming from, you know, the NFL. I think so. I think it's a tremendous advantage. You know, there's not, I hate to say it this way, but when you've got teams that have been around for 40, 50 years, there's good and bad institutional knowledge and tradition. And when you get a chance to start from scratch, um, you don't have the bad habits. You don't have some of the traditions that maybe should go to the wayside. You can start everything from scratch us in Las Vegas, we were able to do things different. And so our DNA is about how do we do things for do things that no other NHL team has done before. And so everybody's got this collective mindset of be innovative, be different, be bold. And when you come in with that and everybody on the same page and knowing what your core brand traits are as an organization, 
uh, it really helps to align the right way and you don't have to, to get rid of any bad traditions and any kind of negative um, uh, institutional knowledge that might be in place. Well, and, and when you're in the position that you're in, you know, typically like a, a new CMO would come in and like you said, there's institutional knowledge. You kind of come in and you, you learn almost the way of, you know, the nights, right. And, and you kind of soak it in and, and learn from everyone around you, but it had to have been a little bit of a different approach than maybe you've taken in the past coming into an organization, like you said, that's been around for 40 years. What was, what was a little bit of your approach as you, you know, are, are then seen as a leader um, but you also have to encompass what everyone else has to bring to the table as well from a diverse you know, skill set. And experience you know, for me, it was perspective. Really started with about 78 days prior to um, the first game. And uh, and I had the luxury of, of working with our chief sales officer in Tampa with the Buccaneers. So I knew that it was really important to make sure sales, the sponsorship and the marketing cogs of the wheel were in alignment and uh so when i came in there were some definite strengths of the organization were very lean i think what carrie boobles our team president has done a tremendous job of from day one is identifying what he calls are the big rocks which are the priorities because anytime you're starting something from scratch people have tons of ideas and you can only really focus on the big rocks because it yeah isn't it isn't it important to uh sometimes say that no can be more important to organizational growth than yes because you just have this tidal wave of opportunities and it's the little ones that take the most time so um thinking about you know where kerry came from and the people that he's worked with I always look at that, you know, it's put in different terminology. Big rocks is a great one, but also what you say no to can be much more important than what you say yes to. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, Andy. I mean, it's for us, it was, you know, Carrie put together the big rock priorities, which are, you know, real revenue generation, best in class game entertainment. So there were certain points. There's 10 of them that actually aligned the whole organization. And then we also had to develop a culture code. You know, what was our, what are we about as an organization? And so we developed something called the Knights Code, which are definitely, they're things that the organization lay behind and also know what direction we're going. And so to your point about you know to a lot of things and to the second year and the third year, because the, the elements that we really want to try to play up that nobody's done before, but for about three months, your list, your to-do list, and making sure you stay focused on the big rocks and then say no, like you said, to other opportunities that present them to realize that we're efficient if we focus. And not just because you have one of the greatest game day shows in all of sports, but Jake, I'd say Johnny Greco, there's no better name in all of sports than head of game day presentation than Johnny Greco. So he's going in my hall of fame period. End of sentence. Andy, Andy, Andy definitely has, definitely has a hall of fame of logos, names, and uh, titles. I think that that goes without saying. Um, I want to pivot real quick, Brian, to kind of where it all started for you. Uh, Andy, any idea what the logo is of Flagler college? Flagler college. Um, 
I would guess it's a greyhound because of the Flagler greyhound track, but I just pulled that one out of some of my lower intestine. What is it? He's thinking Flagler in West Palm, but this is more. Yeah, yeah. Scenes. Okay, what do we got? Flagler Saints. Brian? The Saints. Ah, okay, St. Augustine. Got yep. it. That's a, that's a, that's a low-hanging fruit. There you go. <laughs> so you start you started at Flagler um you stayed in Florida for a little while had a couple different stints uh you know via the, the Rays and, and the Bucks and the Rams before going at the Knights what is what is that that one or two things that you've been able to take kind of take with you either from the start of college uh or you know kind of through your experiences that you think have, have helped you along along your think career path in charge of the entire business of baseball camps for the organization and anytime you get the opportunity to run one element of a business really jump at the chance as i was in charge of being the PL responsibility uh community relations so it was almost a, a an apprenticeship opportunity for Brian, let's let's kind of as as we kind of aim to wrap this episode up a little bit uh, let's talk a little bit about marketing because you uh, marketing such a vague term in the sense of it, it can mean a lot of different things to, to people in the industry. But to your point earlier in the episode, it touches a lot of different areas. It touches the ticket sales, the sponsorships, the, the communications, the you know, community outreach. There's a lot of different constituents you kind of have to work with within you know, an organization as a whole. Uh, can you touch on the variety of aspects in which it, you know you work with on a day-to-day basis, and how important it is to understand the goals of everyone else's department? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you know one of the first things that our you know Carrie Bubbles and I talked about was marketing has to support the revenue areas of the business. You know, you look at and you generate the revenues necessary to support the product, and uh, you know you look at the salary caps of now um you know and and there's certain revenues you got to hit you want to stay profitable and you know most sports franchises obviously need to stay profitable to stay in business so marketing has to really find ways strategically to generate revenue and so from the start like i said you have to be tied at the hip with the sponsorship and ticket sales and marketing to be aligned you can't have one go in one direction and one go in another. You can't have any self-interest. It has to be a no-ego approach. And you really have to find ways to get creative to generate revenue. And if I'm doing my job the right way, then then we're generating the revenues necessary to support the business. Outside of that, you know, if you're also doing things the right way, you're growing the brand. You know, I've, we've had the luxury of being able to build our brand because we have, uh, we're over capacity sales perspective for all of our games. And it allows us the flexibility to try to build this lifestyle brand to associate with. And it goes back to kind of my first point where you want to build a brand that people want to associate with and people want to aspire to be part of. And uh, it's outside of the arena. You know, it's for what we stand for. It's what we do in the community. It's for all of those reasons, too. So side of uh, wins and losses. No, that's exciting. And as you as you kind of look to the future, what is something that you're always kind of continuing to work on as we, we wrap up this episode? 
Um, what's the one thing you kind of leave our listeners with something that you're, whether it's personal or professional development, you're I mean, always just trying to work continue. on uh, each day to get better. Well, I think for us, it's, you know, we, uh, we try to be really relentless innovators and I know that uh, it's easy to put on paper, but harder to execute. You're constantly thinking, evolving your business or finding unique ways to do things or position things. And, you know, a lot of that is lived out by some of the things we do uh, in an in arena experience. You know, we have the luxury of pulling from all, all the best entertainers in the world. And so we've got Cirque du Soleil performers at, at, we've got people flying, got things. If everybody's thinking that way of continual improvement and also being innovative in every aspect of their business, and that's how we keep moving the ball forward. Well, I just say that you and and the team there um, from ownership down um, is the perfect example of how an organization can become golden. And it doesn't happen overnight, if you know what I'm saying. But you guys have been incredible. Um, We wish you the best. And we thank you, Brian, for spending the time with us today. Jake, thanks.